We're on a um, 12-week series, actually it's probably going to be an 11-week series. I'll be going to Africa in a couple weeks, so we'll take a couple weeks off with a series called the, the Believer's Family. And with this series, we've been working on uh, just one passage. And the reason why is because there's so much information in the passage, so we can't go over it fast. We've got to go into it really slow to see what is being communicated um, in this passage. And it's been working heavily on marriages, and uh, as they are the the, uh, the pinnacle of the family, the centerpiece of the family, and um, the, the success of the family is, is kind of hinged on those relationships. So I just want to read the passage, and then we'll um, glean what um, God has to say uh, through his word this morning. I do want you to know that uh, verses 28 through 30, you will see them underlined in your notes. Um, that is where our focus is going to be, but I don't want to just give you that little spot. I want to give you the whole passage so you can see the context of where that passage is coming from. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33 says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to their husbands as to the Lord. For husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church." for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. As we're looking through that passage, we see lots of verbs for us to do. We see the Verb in, 2000, or in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you want to understand the whole dynamics of that word uh, submission, I encourage you to look back a couple sermons and listen to sermons um, to see what that definition is. But it's a verb that we're supposed to do. And we go, okay, I know we're supposed to submit. I know we're supposed to love. I know we're supposed to give. I know we're supposed to forgive. I know we're supposed to do all these things in our marriage. And thank you for giving us challenges to do all these things in our marriage. But there's still one pressing question that hits everybody's mind. And the question is, what's with the conflict? What's with the conflict? I can do this, I can do that, and I can try to make things work, but there's still this conflict that consistently comes up, this conflict that consistently happens. Last week we talked about the conflict is based on hurt, and today we're going to talk about the conflict that we have is, is based on hunger, which would be the word selfishness. So there is a conflict that is taking it's inside of our system, and we are doing things that we don't even know what we're doing. And the answer to those questions of what is the conflict is, to per is given to us for the purpose of answering what is going on in my marriage that is ugly, that is rough, that causes rage, that causes frustration, that causes anger. And then once we figure out what is going on, we can then figure out, of course, what to do with it. So as we're looking at the conflict in marriage, the context of hunger, 
which is selfishness. We want to break a sermon down into three different areas. What we need to know, what is the problem, and what is the solution. So first thing I want to talk about, what we need to know, and this is a little bit of review from last week. Marriage does not bring us into conflict with our spouse. It brings us into conflict with ourselves. As I said last week, I think I was just almost perfect until I got married. And then all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I showed up. And that is exactly what happened, is that you show up. You show up in certain times in your life. Some of the areas that you show up, which we talked about last week, is you show up when pain happens. In other words, as soon as pain takes place, all of a sudden you're inside, just rise up. I mean, say if you're you know, working on a house and you're nailing a, uh, a nail into a board and all of a sudden that hammer hits your thumb, all of a sudden what takes place? You show up and what comes out of your mouth is what is sitting inside of your heart. You show up in regards to pain, but then the other place where you show up is when you get close to somebody. All of a sudden, all your things, issues, everything all of a sudden starts to arise. Selfishness shows up. Insecurities show up. Anger starts to show up. All those imperfections that you have start to show up. And I will tell you that it is God's design because he is the one that created marriage, is that when you get close to somebody, you will then show up. But there's a reason and there's a purpose why that works that way. Do you know what the purpose is? It's found in number two. Marriage is not designed to make you happy. Marriage is designed to make you holy, and holy people are happy. We go into marriage thinking it's going to make us happy, and all of a sudden we show up, and when we show up, unsatisfactory behavior is going to take place. And when you're not satisfied, what are you going to do? You're going to be lashing out in regards to the person that's sitting across from you, not to you. Because if you're not satisfied, it's their fault. It's not yours as we start showing up. But what God says is, no, when you show up, and you hear yourself speak to your mate, listen to yourself. And as you're listening to yourself, do something about it. Because what marriage is, is marriage is designed to sanctify you, which means to make you holy. It's designed for you to show up and then confront yourself. That's <laughs> what's supposed to take place. But often we show up, we see our anger, we see our rage, we see all these things that take place, and then we launch it across the room and say, well, it must be her fault. It must be his fault. It's everybody's fault except us. But God's saying, whoa, I built marriage to put you together for the purpose of you showing up so you can correct it. So looking at this, what is the problem? Moving on from that, these are just things you need to know. What is the problem? Number three, we're addicted to selfishness. One thing that you need to know and I need to know is that the, the most hardest thing that you will ever do in your life, the most hardest thing that you will ever do, and the most greatest accomplishment, if you accomplish it, that you have ever done, have done, is to conquer yourself. That's it. The hardest thing you'll ever do is conquer yourself. I was reading the news uh, last week, and there was an article about two men who had conquered the world. And these two men are multi-billionaires. They're named Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. And what they are is they have hundreds of billions of dollars. And they are known for being the two richest guys on the entire planet. And we look at them as two people that are successful and have conquered the world. And we even aspire to think, boy, I wish I was in their shoes because if I was in their shoes, everything would be good. Yes, they have accomplished 
they have conquered the world, and they have more money than they can even possibly spend um, in a lifetime. There's one thing about the article is the article wasn't speaking too highly of them. If I continued to read the article, do you know what the article was saying? That they give next to nothing to charity. Now think of this word, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars, and each of those guys fell into the category of the same category that many, many, many billionaires fall into is don't give a cent away. What does that mean? That means that you give more than they do in regards to money that is being gone. They have conquered the world, but they haven't conquered themselves. They haven't opened their eyes to see the need that is around them and seeing the need respond aggressively to pour themselves out to the world rather than take the world and suck it all in. Their concept is all me, none them, even when as Llewellyn talked about the sex trafficking that takes place and all the poverty and all the hunger that is happening. We come from this um, because it's built into our nature. In other words, it's built into every single one of us. This self-absorbing that it's going to be me, not them. I'm not going to pour out my life to them. I'm actually going to bring it all to me. It comes from us naturally. In fact, if you look back at the Garden of Eden, that's where it all started. Satan came down. He came down and he wanted to sell Adam and Eve one thing. You can be like God. All you need to do is feed yourself. All you need to do is feed yourself, and the process of feeding yourself will make you like God. Let's go back to Genesis to see where we come from naturally. Genesis 3 says this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, what is that? It's a lust of the flesh. And pleasing to the eye, what is that? It's the lust of the eyes. And desirable for gaining wisdom, what is that? It's the pride of life. She took some and ate it. She also gave some of her husband who was with her, and he ate it as well. Think about this verse in the context, not of Adam and Eve, but in context of Satan. In the context of Lucifer, he wants to do what? He wants to annihilate them. Because if he can annihilate them, what's he going to do? He'll annihilate the entire world. And all he's trying to do is to get them to take their eyes off of God and put it specifically on themselves. In fact, I would say that Satan has absolutely no tricks. The only tricks he wants to do is get your eyes off of God and get your eyes off of other people and focus specifically on yourself as you are the one that's important and you should have, you should have, you should have, you should have, you should have. And the reason why he's so adamant about doing it is because it is the one thing that will destroy us. He knew it was the one thing that would destroy Jesus if Jesus fell for it. Look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Lucifer shows up again. Satan shows up again. This is the time that, loose, that Satan wants to take Jesus out, so he gives him three different temptations, knowing that if Jesus would fall for the temptations, then the entire world would not be saved. So he gives us three different temptations. You know what's interesting? The three temptations that were given to Adam and Eve are then given to who? Given to Jesus. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. What is that? Lust of the flesh. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. What is that? It's the pride of life. Take charge, Jesus. You're the one that carries the power. You have deity. You know it. I know it. You are God. Therefore, why don't you take charge of your life and stop being so submissive 
to your father. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And what is that? Look at it, Jesus. Look at it. Lust of the eyes. All is yours if you just swallow it. If you just start thinking about yourself instead of your mission, which is the people, the salvation of people, think about yourself. You can have everything. Jesus didn't think about himself. He denied himself for the purpose of giving us everything. Satan is on a mission, and it's for us to cave into ourselves. And the way that we cave into ourselves is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And John, the author of his book, 1 John, makes mention of it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. What does the word lust mean? Lust is a longing. It's a desire. It's a craving. It's something that consumes you. It's something that takes you. It's something that owns you. It's something that rules you. It's something that dominates you. Why? Because you want it so bad. And get the words, you want it so bad. That's what the word lust is. And it is inside of us driving us to take what we can get. Hold on what we think we deserve. Swallow what we think is ours. Focus specifically on yourself and nobody else. It is the heartbeat of Satan. In fact, I just want to read a passage in Isaiah. Satan got kicked out of heaven. And when he got kicked out of heaven, why did he get kicked out of heaven? This is the one verse why he got kicked out of heaven. Isaiah 14, 13 says this, But you said in your heart, Satan, Lucifer, said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mountain of assembly, the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the highest of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God, the five I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. Focus, focus, focus right here. People ask the theological question, why does Satan hate us so mad, so bad? And why is he so vicious? Why does he want to destroy um, everybody? And the reason why is because he's hungry. <laughs> really, really hungry. Why? Because he's completely and entirely absorbed with himself. If you study the concept of a lion's den, looking at Daniel and the lion's den, um, the lion's den is in an amphitheater. And the reason why a lion's den is in the amphitheater is because it's pretty radical to watch. Because what they do is they starve the lion. And when they starve the lion, the lion is so hungry that when they throw food in there, the lion does not go out of his cage slowly, walk up to the food, set it down, grab a fork, and slowly eat the food. That's not what lions do. No, what lions do, as soon as they see food, they are already hungry. They are already frustrated. They are already mad. And they have aggression inside of them because it's feed me, feed me, feed me, that when they see it, they will go rip the thing apart in a show that everybody has to come and watch. Same thing Lucifer is doing. Selfish. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. I'm not getting enough. I'm not getting enough. I'm not getting enough. And it makes him brutally angry, brutally mad. It also makes us mad when we have that same focus. 
Give me, give me, give me, give me. I should have, I should have, I should have. I want, I want, I want, I want. And we use it in different forms. My mate is not meeting my needs. And therefore, since my mate is not meeting my needs, then she is messed up, or then he is messed up. And we do it in our marriage that as soon as we start to arise, we see what is going on, we then see ourselves, and sometimes it's going to get more hungry, or sometimes it's going to be, oh my goodness, I see myself. Maybe I should do something about it. I see myself. Maybe I should do something about it. Next part of the problem is that selfishness is not the uh, leading cause of divorce, it's the only cause of divorce. This is so deep in our system that we don't even, we don't even know it. And the reason why is because the sins that we do are stirred specifically from the concept of selfishness. All of our sins that we're doing are stirred from the concept of selfishness. In fact, it's, it's driving us, it's sending us, it's moving us, and we are caved in on ourselves trying to get, trying to get, trying to get, and then all of a sudden these things start to literally come out of us. And when it starts to come out of us, what's going to take place? Hell on earth. Hell on earth. In fact, if you look at the concept of heaven and hell, um, there's a difference. And what is the difference between heaven and hell? I mean, you're going to have heaven for eternity, you're going to have hell for eternity. What's the overwhelming difference? Um, in hell, everybody's self-absorbed. It doesn't make you a better person. They're not pleading for mercy. They're self-absorbed. Give me, give me, give me, give me. It's anger, it's thirst, it's rage, and you cannot stand the person that's next to you in hell because you are starving and there's no more grace to even give you a breath, and torment takes place on the concept of give me, give me, give me. Charles Spurgeon said hell is sin full grown is what it is. But what's the difference in heaven? Heaven is when everybody lives for the next person. <laughs> everybody lives for the next person. Because when everybody lives for the next person, what's going to take place? Life is going to happen. Because that person's going to prosper us, right, prosper right in front of us. If we can pull our eyes off of ourselves and start living even for the next person, what's going to happen? Life is going to happen. Think about this. The world can have heaven tomorrow. Now, we can even have heaven this afternoon. All we need to do is one thing. Get our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on everybody else, and heaven will take place on this planet. That's what heaven is, is everybody pours out their life for other people rather than themselves. Hell is everybody focused on themselves and trying to get from people rather than trying to hand yourself away to people. So when you look at marriage, it's not the leading cause of divorce. It's the only cause of divorce. I would say it's the only cause of sin that is coming out. It is, it is the root of all evil that has even taken place. Me, 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 and it's so ingrained into us that we don't even see it anymore. We don't even see it. Our actions can get absolutely crazy like a hungry lion, and we still don't even see it because it must be somebody else's problem, and usually when it's somebody else's problem, it's actually right here. Number five, selfishness comes in two forms. First comes in a form of aggression, aggressive, which is, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want, I want, I want, I want. I need, I need, I need. Do, 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 do. I should have, I should have, I should have. And all of a sudden, it creates this fire inside of us that burns because you'll never be satisfied. The way you can only be satisfied is if you give away, but if you focus on yourself, it will just cause a burning that will never, ever, ever stop. The next way to be um, selfish is a passive way. 
It's I won't give, I won't give, I won't give, I won't give. I won't disclose myself. I will not have conversation because I don't want to have conversation. I will not be talking to you because I don't want to talk to you. I do not want to give you time because I don't want to give you time. I don't want to give you flowers because I don't want to give you flowers. I'm not going to do all this stuff. And it's just focusing again on ourselves. Many people get accused of being aggressive worse than passive. But if you are aggressive, you're getting two things. You're getting power and control over your mate. That's what aggressive is. Give me, give me, give me, give me power and control. Passive is doing the same thing. You're getting power and then you're getting control over your mate. Both of them are, again, focused on ourselves while we eat each other alive. You know, people say that I can't believe how many divorces are taking place, but if you have, you know, the nature that Satan has put into our system is I will, I will, I will, I will, I need, I need, I need, I do, I do, I do, or do, 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 um, I won't give, I won't give, I won't give. We're so completely and entirely self-absorbed, kind of surprised that there's not more divorces that even take place. That is our nature. Selfishness is our nature. Is there an answer? Yes. <laughs> there's one. There is one. Number six, Christ came to break selfishness in us. There is an answer, and it does not go outside of Jesus Christ. It does not go outside of Jesus Christ. Um, if you say, I want to not be selfish anymore, without the help of the Holy Spirit, it will not happen. This is how it works. Is Jesus left heaven for a purpose. He could have stayed there and lived it up. And he never had to come down here and do anything. But he left heaven for a purpose. He denied everything that was in heaven. And he didn't come to earth as a body, in a body. It's a man. It's Jesus Christ, full of deity, full of God, but yet was restricted by a man. Getting cold. Getting, getting, getting I mean, tired. All the things that a man experienced, he experienced. Completely denied what he had and came over here to earth to live this perfect life. And then he went to the cross, and what did he do? He died. And when he died, he put all of our sin, all of our selfishness, all of our anger, all of our hate, all of our frustration, all the stuff that's driving us, this sin that has overtaken us, he put it all on the cross, right specifically on him, and said, I will pay the price so you do not have to pay the price. That's, that's what he did. I'll pay the price. I'll deny myself. I will give myself away so you can live. So I can live. And then he went to the grave. When he went to the grave, he rose again three days later and then ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, he made comments down here on earth that says, it's good for this to take place. And the reason why it's good for this to take place is because it is what saves you, gives you a taste of heaven, gives you a taste of somebody completely, God, denying themselves. He says, it's good for me to go because when I go, the Holy Spirit will then come and you can then do the same thing that I did. What? Deny yourself for the next person. You can do the exact same thing I did. Do what? You can give heaven to earth. Well, you give heaven to earth is now I'm no longer going to live for myself. I'm going to live for the glory of the other person that's sitting next to me. I'm going to live for the glory of the person that is my wife, that is my husband. So he came as the ultimate example, but he also came in power to say, I'm going to change everything that you're used to. And I'm going to make a fool out of Satan. Because everything Satan wanted, I'm going to change it. He wanted glory. He wanted power. He wanted, he wanted strength. He wanted to sit on the throne. He wanted to be God. And I'm going to change it to 
Deny yourself and you'll be able to live. Give and you will be given to. Sacrifice and you'll be sacrificed for. Forgive and then you will be forgiven. This is the concepts that have now come out of Jesus Christ. A complete change so radical that there is a kingdom of darkness there's a kingdom of light. And the kingdom of darkness is literally self-absorbed people coming from poison that Satan has put in us. So feed yourself, feed yourself, feed yourself. The kingdom of light is what? Somebody says, I'm not going to feed myself. I'm going to pour my life out so others will live. There's no way that we can carry the power to say, I'm going to look at my mate and I'm going to make sure that I'm not going to be the focus, but that she is or that he is in regards to the wives. First John 3.16 says this, wraps it all up in one statement. We know love by this. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Fast statement. This is love. I gave myself away, and now what I want you to do is give yourself away as well to other people. So when we look at this concept of what Christ did to, to break the concept of selfishness, I just want to anchor back into the verse. And when you look back into the verse, there's some words that are said, the passage we'll be working on, and one of the words is love. And what is love? Love is live giving yourself away to your spouse for the purpose of your marriage. I have not talked about it yet, but we're going to talk about it here in a couple weeks, and it's called the one flesh relationship. One flesh relationship is one mind, one heart, uh, one goal, one mission, two people. That's one flesh. And this is what takes place at marriage, is that you are no longer an individual person accomplishing your individual goals. goals. You are now a unit to be made into one, accomplishing the same goals, the same mission, that is in your mind, but you're doing it as, as a unit. So you're no longer living for yourself, you're, you're living specifically for this unit to make sure that this unit is alive to make an impact on the world. And therefore, if we sacrifice for our mate, then we will sacrifice for the world for the purpose of it then being changed. So use this word love, starts right specifically in our house, because if it happens in our house, it will then happen outside of our house. Live by giving yourself away to your spouse for the purpose of your marriage. The verse that Paul mentions is in 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. And then he moves through it. He who loves his wife loves himself. See, what's taking place is that he understands how much we love our own bodies. He understands how much we try to take care of ourselves. He understands how much we try to nurture ourselves, how much we try to feed ourselves. And he's saying, now that you are one flesh, I want to change it. Stop doing that and love your wife just as much as you love yourself. This hunger that is now coming into, um, specifically um, Satan is putting into you, change it and put it on his head. Now, as soon as you walk into marriage, make sure you love your wife as much as you love yourself. Love the unit because you're now one flesh rather than two. How can we do that? We can give our wives and give our husbands emotional connection because a unit is starving if emotional connection is not there. We can give our mates affection. We can give our mates loyalty. We give our mates commitment. We give them conversation. We give them sexual fulfillment. We give them romance. I put that in there because marriages need to be alive 
And there's a hunger that takes place from people that are, that are there, self, 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 self. But what happens is that when another person gives that and satisfies that, it is then thrown back into the other person's lap. That's what a healthy marriage looks like. Intimacy, physical touch, time, domestic support, recreational companionship, all the things that, that we can do to make this unit, this one flesh unit, as healthy as you possibly can give, do it. Deny yourself so that person will live. Not expecting that person to live for you, but deny yourself so that other person will live. It's interesting when we work on this, we often think of it and we can be so selfish. It's like, you must be talking to my mate right now rather than talking to me. That's kind of how selfish we, we are. But no, we're talking about you because you get to drive the relationship to health. First Corinthians Seven three through four brings um, um, reinforcement to that statement. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his body, but then the wife does. Um, number B, feeds is the next statement that is the next word that is given in that passage. Live bringing nourishment to your spouse for the purpose of your marriage. Again, you're not living for yourself. You're living for the purpose of this unit and the purpose of your marriage. And Paul makes mention of it in verse 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he does what? He feeds it, just like Christ does the church. And we can see exactly how he fed it. He gave himself his life away for it. So looking at just different concepts of how we can feed our mate is that there is a starvation, there's an emptiness that is going there inside of people. And as those emptinesses are there, bring admiration, bring affirmation, bring encouragement, bring respect, bring love, bring comfort. Letter C, cares is the next word that is given. Live bringing health to your spouse for the purpose of your marriage. Again, the verse is focused on different things. Love, feeds, and then he moves to cares. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and then he cares for it, just as Christ has done the church. And underneath those, we've put the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The reason why the fruits of the Spirit is there is because we have been given an example of an aggressive love, which is Jesus Christ. And as we have seen that love, it then goes into our heart, and then what comes out of us? The fruits of what he has given us. Love, joy, peace, patience. It is what comes out of us for the purpose, again, of making our mate alive. Number seven, know that love is not a feeling that leads to reaction, but a reaction that leads to a feeling. Tell you how love works, and, and we often don't think it works this way, but this is how love works. What you sacrifice for, you fall in love with. What you give to, you fall in love with. Who you serve is where you fall in love with. Whatever the sacrifice or you deny yourself to, a love starts to grow in the process of you sacrificing. In fact, you start to grow more affection for that person if you sacrifice for that person. We think it works backwards. We think if that person gives me this and gives me this and gives me this and gives me this, 
We think that we'll be happy and satisfied and all those things will work. It doesn't work that way. What you sacrifice for is when love starts to increase. You know, pastors know that. In fact, if you think about it, there's a concept that says in the Bible that you need to give, the money, give your money to the church, tithe. Why is it so important for you to tithe? It's so you'll fall in love with the church. Is it because we have to have all this money or ministry will not take place? When you start giving to God, you start falling in love with God. When you start giving to the church, you start falling in love with the church. And people that do not like the church are often people that do not give to the church. If you start giving to the poor, what's going to happen? You're going to start falling in love with the poor. You're going to start loving the poor. If you start sacrificing for God, what's going to happen? You're going to start falling in love for God. If you start serving and laying your life down for what God wants you to do, you're going to fall in love with God's will. Everything that you sacrifice for increases your love. But if you refuse to sacrifice, then you're not, you're not going to fall in love. The love will not be there. When you start serving others, you fall in love with others. You love others. When you, start, um, when you start praying for your enemies, loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you, all of a sudden there's this grace that you start offering. Why? Because you're giving time. You're giving people. You're giving them something. Now, the culture works different that way. What happens, the culture works in a sense, well, if you feel love, then feel like you love the person, then you'll be able to love them for the rest of their life. It, it, it doesn't work that way, because if you feel like you love them, well, good luck loving them for the rest of your life. You actually need to serve them and give to them if you're going to increase that love that will even take place. This is how a modern person falls in love, how a modern male falls in love, looks at a, li- a, wi- a woman and says, oh my goodness, just my body type, can't wait to die for her. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. In fact, if you even listen to the words of the sound, it's a hunger that you want from that person. I mean, ladies do the same thing when they are looking for a mate and they're shopping around for a mate and they say, okay, well, that person will give me security, that person will give me financial, uh, financial support, uh, that person will give me romance and start to make a list of all these things that, that we are looking for um, in a mate. Well, why are we doing that? It's because, because we're self, because we focus on ourselves of what that person can then, can then give. Remember what marriage is. is marriage is there for sanctification. It's there because you see somebody that is on a mission and you want to be part of the mission in the process of sanctification. But that's only going to take place when one or both deny themselves. That's when it gets healthy. That's when it gets strong. Number eight, marriage is not God's tool to break. Our marriage is God's tool to break our addiction to selfishness. God's plan for marriage is that it's good. His plan for marriage is that you would have a smile on your face, you'd be happy, you'd be excited, and you'd be thrilled out of your mind with an amazing mate that you are married to. That's God's plan. won't happen unless you deny yourself. Matthew 16 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will then find it. If you keep it, you will die. If you give it, then you will live. We could say that in the same context of marriage. If I give my life away, it will live. But if I keep it for myself, it will, in the process, die. Just giving us a, a fast rundown is marriage is not to make you happy. Marriage is to make you holy. So when you get close to a person and you arise, what's going to take place? 
Fight it and get rid of yourself. Deny yourself. And after you deny yourself, start living for the person that is right in front of you. And when you start living for the person right in front of you to sanctify that person in that process, you will even start to receive sanctification. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goals on marriage. God, we can look at marriage and, and uh, um, we can think that it's all about us. But God, it's not all about us. It's all about you and what you want to do to the world. You want us to be holy. You want us to be blameless. You want us to be on fire, God, specifically for you. And God, you have given us that marriage to increase that fire for you. I just pray, God, that as married couples are here, that they would sell out to the concept that you've given us. Deny yourself so my mate can live. Deny ourselves to the world so people around us can live. You've given us the example at the cross, and I just pray that that example, God, lives out in our behavior. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.